we have teamed up with 500 Startups' CVC Insider Series, where top CVC practitioners offer advice and best practices regarding common challenges encountered within corporate venturing. Featured this week is an interview with Jason Miles of Volvo Financial Services VFS Innovation Ventures and VFS iLab X Fund, and Nicolas Savage of TDK Ventures. I'm so glad to have Jason. Uh, he's a managing director of VFS Innovation Ventures. And he's going to have the next 15 minutes to really present his journey in this corporate venturing and how he started it and how he's executing it. But then I will, after that, ask him a lot of questions about what's special about what he's done. So, Jason, all yours. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me, um, Nicholas, and to the 500 team for for inviting me. I, I really think that this is a, a great initiative. And, um, you know, there's... Uh, there's, there's quite a, a, a big um, or a lot of momentum behind corporate venturing um, as a whole. And I think that, you know, sessions like these will, uh, will continue that momentum. Um, but just as a brief, a little bit of background on myself, um, again, Jason Miles, um, I have about 20 years of experience um, in, you know, everything from capital markets, transactions to private equity and uh, venture capital. Um, you know, I started my career um, in the late 90s before the dot-com um, bubble um, as an investment banker uh, with Roberts and Stevens, um, which was one of the quote unquote, four horsemen of San Francisco, um, you know, again, during the, the dot-com craze, um, you know, where I was uh, responsible for um, raising uh, venture capital for, for new startups, um, particularly at the, the growth stage, um, you know, development, um, you know, did deals for companies like um, wine.com, which I'm sure a lot of us use still, um, stamps.com, which I'm sure folks see a lot of, uh, of commercials for still and, um, and others. Um, from, Robbie, from Robbie Stevens, I moved over to uh, Bank of America Securities, um, where I focused on um, continuing to raise capital for private companies, but more so on the late stage um, and uh, traditional um, private equity um, stages. Um, after B of A, uh, I moved over to another boutique investment bank called Viant, Viant Group, um, where we did um, early stage M&A um, transactions. We actually did one of the first um, um, uh, team aqua hires um, in the industry, uh, where we sold um, companies to um, large players like um, Yahoo and Google, um, we sold a company called Urchin to Google, which became Google Analytics. Um, so, you know, suffice it to say, early in my career, I was, you know, highly focused on transactions. Um, and, you know, with that background, I wanted a little bit more um, exposure to um, how transactions affect corporate strategy. Um, and I moved over to uh, Bank of America's um, corporate arm um, and focused on doing uh, corporate development transactions, large joint ventures, um, you know, small acquisitions, um, especially in the financial services and mortgage sector. Um, you know, the, the biggest transaction and, and probably most famous that, uh, that I was a part of was, was the countrywide transaction uh, during the financial crisis, which really gave me a lot of insight into, um, 
you know, again, how corporate strategy drives um, M&A activity and what some of those, or what some of the, the market, um, how the market environment really drives um, that decision making. Um, after B of A, I went and got my MBA at Wharton um, and, you know, continued to kind of round out um, some of the more financial and, and technical um, aspects of, of my career. Um, and, you know, after Wharton, I, I, I really wanted to kind of get a little bit more exposure into the final leg of um, financial services, um, which was investment management and really seeing, um, you know, how the how the pension and endowment market um, worked to influence um, financing decisions because ultimately you know an asset is passed over the life of a company or the life of the asset from the founder or creator through all the way to you know Main Street so it passes from Wall Street to Main Street and um, you know, that was, uh, and, and vice versa, they kind of work together. Um, but that was a good opportunity for me to see kind of that end-to-end -end, um, um, transition and really try to understand, you know, what do large foundations and endowments and pension plans like um, CalPERS or the state of New York, you know, what do they look for and, and how do they assess um, money managers as well as, um, you know, investment opportunities. Um, so after, uh, so I was the head of strategy for a, a $7 billion fund of funds in San Francisco. Um, and we were, we were really focused on emerging managers. So, you know, folks with less than $2 billion that were, that were really startup investment managers. Um, so it was, again, a good, a good, a, a good level of exposure to, um, an area of the market that, um, that I hadn't seen. And, and, um, you know, from an investor standpoint, I think it's critical for, for one to have a view on, um, you know, where your stock ends up at the end of the day. And it really ends up in the 401ks and, and retirement plans of, you know, teachers and, and firefighters and police officers. So um, it really gave a, a, a good additional view on, on the market. Um, after that, um, <clears throat> I really wanted to focus more on the creation side of uh of the market and you know i founded a small fintech startup um called crave it um very small most of you not heard of it and won't hear of it <laughs> but uh but it was focused on crowdfunding um and blockchain and how those um, new technologies could be applied to um e-commerce um and how it could quote unquote democratize the purchases of, of retail items um, so, you know, at that point, um, it had given me a very good view on, you know, product creation and, and um, how to um, enter into a, a, a competitive market um, with a product and also develop it from scratch. Um, obviously, you know, I'm a banker by trade, so I'm not an engineer. Um, and, you know, it was a good um, uh, experience with, you know, product development from a pure engineering and, and technology standpoint, and really kind of understanding how these, how these things interact and how the various parts of the, of the puzzle come together to create something for the market. Um, a couple of years ago, I joined um, Volvo Group um, Volvo and Volvo Financial Services in particular um, to lead their corporate venturing effort um, around innovation in the fintech space. Um, 
you know, it was a, 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 an interesting um, um, change of direction for me, but, you know, it, it was an opportunity to really apply all of those experiences from the previous years um, and, uh, you know, create something new within a large corporate. So kind of being an entrepreneur um, while also working with, um, you know, small startups that, um, that are looking for, for, product, for product market fit. Um, so, you know, overall, that's my background, um, you know, about 20 years of experience, um, you know, across financial services, technology, and more, most recently, um, mobility and logistics. Um, and, you know, if I really boil it down, um, you know, my overall motivation um, throughout my career has been, um, you know, to really embrace creativity. Um, you know, I have a I, I can be highly focused, um, um, but I have a very um, interesting attention span. At least that's what my grandmother used to tell me. <laughs> where you know I, I like to create things and um, and look towards kind of the the bigger ideas. Uh, so I'm on the big idea side of the spectrum, um, and you know that kind of lead, led me into you know really focusing on applied entrepreneurship and and how I could impact entrepreneurs and, and help them bring their products to market. Um, and as I said before, you know, my, my current vision um, and what I do at Volvo um, really surrounds, you know, how to create or enable um, an integrated tran transportation network, um, you know, where, where the infrastructure, the vehicles, um, the drivers and the users of those vehicles all interact to create new business models. So um, in the future, you can imagine, um, you know, a long haul um, trucker um, with an app inside of his um, autonomous vehicle. And that app is not only guiding him to where he needs to go, but it's also helping him um, on a per mile basis with his investment strategy. <laughs> so um, over the next 10 years, um, you're going to see, I think, a, a big um, um, confluence of all of these different factors come together and uh, create new business models. And that's what really excites me today. Um, so with that, um, that's my background. Um, you know, if anybody wants to, you know, contact me, obviously uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about VFS Innovation Ventures. Um, so as I mentioned before, I joined Volvo um, to help them um, with their innovation strategy, um, particularly around how to leverage early stage startups um, um, to help push our innovation agenda forward. So when I first joined Volvo, VFS Innovation Ventures didn't exist, and um, they were doing things that were um, focused on kind of the prioritization around innovation, meaning, you know, where to focus their effort and attention. Um, just a little bit more background on Volvo Group. Um, Volvo Group owns Volvo trucks, it owns uh, Mack trucks, it owns all commercial vehicles, but it does not own the car company. The car company is now owned by a, um, a Chinese private equity firm called Geely. Um, but on the Volvo Group side, um, you know, we have all of these different brands that produce commercial vehicles. And then we have Volvo Financial Services, which provides the funding and financing to the customers that purchase those vehicles. 
So as you can imagine, the, the services that, that VFS brings to market um, are things that you would get from a bank, um, loans, um, lines of credit, um, and all sorts of different financing um, opportunities. But there's also quite a bit of te technology behind the delivery of those services from billing to um, subscriptions um, and all of the things that would support a customer um, that recently purchased a very large device. And that device in our case is, um, you know, a commercial vehicle, a truck, a bulldozer, um, you know, a refuse vehicle, et cetera, et cetera. So um, we, we figured out a few areas that we wanted to focus on and really wanted to figure out how we could accelerate um, um, our activity um, and really get access to, to more R&D um, within that activity. Um, because Volvo Group has been around for about 100 years. It's one of these huge, huge companies, you know, in over 100 countries, 100,000 employees. So innovation and R&D while it takes place very regularly on the vehicle side of the world, it does not take place in large OEMs on the service delivery side of the world. So we decided to really focus our efforts on working with startups that could help accelerate our, our new service development and delivery. Um, at, the, at the time, um, we did not have um, an efficient vehicle to really deliver those types of services. Um, and to create those services. And the reasoning was kind of theoretical in nature, but it was also very practical. So the way I like to think about what we've created is we address uh, two major challenges, right? So the first challenge is um, from the startup side, right? Especially for early stage startups, you know, they have extremely high operating leverage, right? Because they have so much, so, so many intangible assets, the intellectual property, the code that they, that they develop on, um, and, you know, the, 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 the output or the sweat equity of the founders and the folks working with them. Um, but within that, they have extremely high, um, you know, short-term uh, working capital constraints. So they're constantly raising capital, um, and, you know, it's because they have to support kind of a persistent um, negative earning profile. Um, and, you know, all of that is alleviated if they have a great revenue ramp, um, but they can't get a great revenue ramp until they find product market fit. So they're constantly having this innovators or um, founders dilemma around raising capital, developing a great product, and it makes it difficult for them to serve very large enterprise clients because of these dynamics. On the opposite side, um, you know, corporations have their own challenges, right? Um, you know, it's very difficult for a large corporation to embark upon R&D efforts because of the budgeting processes. Um, they're also operating in uh, extremely dynamic um, business cycles where they have to, you know, report every quarter or every six months to their shareholders. Um, they obviously face, you know, huge competitive threats around disruption, especially in, in sectors such as mine, where it's commercial vehicles and, and OEMs. Um, and in order to introduce new products, big companies have to, um, you know, balance the introduction of those new products with the cannibalization of their current business. Th those are the things that we've, we've tried to, um, you know, systematically put into our program where we can kind of help alleviate some of these biases. 
Um, but that's why we created VFS Innovation Ventures, right? It's a, it's a structured program. Um, you know, we provide capital to commercialize new ventures um, and help some of these companies along while also helping um, VFS um, innovate around some of our, our target areas. Um, you know, we focus on uh, late seed companies all the way through late series A um, and companies that are very close to product market fit or they have product market fit, um, but they just have not explored the commercial vehicle sector. Um, you know, in order to assess that, we typically look for companies that have traction, um, you know, with, with other global 2000 corporations. Um, and obviously given where we focus in the OEM space, you know, FinTech is a, is a huge one for us, a huge sector for us. Um, ACES, which stands for Autonomous Connected Electric and Shared Vehicles. Um, and then uh, from a bigger perspective, all of this has to um, play into like a, a data orchestration and an analytics model um, that can help us create that network effect that I was describing before. Um, so, you know, that's kind of a high level view of uh, a VFS Innovation Ventures. Um, you know, we typically play again at kind of an early stage um, where we're putting, you know, up to a million dollars to work with uh, with small startups. Um, and, you know, we like to work with folks that already have or could potentially have a relationship with VFS. Um, and but that's pretty broadly defined. So if there's a startup that has um, a product that could be applied to something that we do, then we're willing to work with them. Um, our, our first investment was in a company called Rain, um, which is an insure tech platform. Um, they are a good example because they had product market fit within the drone space and the agriculture sector, but they had not had any, any exposure to the commercial vehicle sector, but their, um, their platform had high applicability to commercial vehicles and we, we brought them on board. So, um, that's that's again a little bit about me and about Volvo uh, Financial Services. So um, you know, and to to Nicholas, to your point, um, you know, maybe we can talk about some of the biases and, and FOMO. Oh, we will. But actually, uh, what I like what you just did, Jason, is of course you talked about you and you talked about Volvo, but you also talked about the company you have innovated in, and I think that's one of the good traits for any corporate VC is to really make sure that. We talk about our portfolio company. There is a reason I started with this background. Is it's my way of talking about the companies that we have invested in. And so the fact you ended up like this is, I think, a very, very good uh, um, trade for uh, corporate VC. So well done for this. Um, a, a message for the audience. We have 500 startups who are going to send a poll question. Uh, we are going to have three in total, but this, the first one is going to come up. So if you can be on the watch out, that would be great. Jason, let me start with a, uh, a conversation we had before. Uh, we all know about the innovator's dilemma. I'm wondering if you can talk about your view about the investor's dilemma. And of course, it touched on the biases, but te te tell us about your, your, your way of thinking there. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's an interesting thing to kind of think about when you're um, especially from a corporate VC's perspective, right? I think the, the dilemma for any investor is around two things, right? The first is um, which investments to select, right? 
And that means industry, company, founders, management team, all of those things that we all think about. Um, and the second is when to invest, right? So it's timing and selection. Um, the, the, the interplay between timing and selection increases the level of biases that I think investors have whenever they're making a, a decision, right? Um, you know, for example, um, I'm sure everyone has been following the market. Um, you know, last year, Tesla was, you know, two or $300 per share, you know, um, and now it's, you know, I don't know what it is today, but about $1,300, $1,400 per share. You know, not much has changed in the thesis behind what Elon Musk is doing, but the investor interest has increased exponentially for a variety of reasons, you know, market-based, um, market-based reasons, financial reasons, um, et cetera, et cetera. And as an investor, you have to manage your own biases to, to determine when you're going to get in to, to a particular investment. Public markets are very easy to get in and get out, get out of, Private markets are extremely difficult to get in and to get out of. So your biases become even more impactful on your decision making because you're essentially um, beholden to your investment decisions for a longer period of time. Right. So that's really the dilemma. You know, make a selection, get in at the right time, because that's going to give you the outsized return that you're looking for. You know, if you get in too early, that's equivalent to getting in too late. <laughs> right? Find the right time. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, very good. And so maybe, uh, I mean, you are a very new corporate VC. So what it is that you learned in the last year that you feel is helping you to understand better this bias, this investor's dilemma, and all the bias around it? And, and maybe for everyone who's listening, is there a mistake you made so far that now you would not make again? Ah, yeah, definitely. So, um, from a from a CVC perspective, the biases that exist are very stark because people talk about. I mean, your first poll answer our question was strategic versus financial return, right? Most CVCs have a strong bias, either for financial or for strategic return. The balance of those two, I think, is where the success, that's where the sweet spot really is. But it's very difficult to balance those two, um, especially if you're investing off of the balance sheet of the firm versus investing in a, a, a you know, in a green or evergreen fund um, format. Those balance are those biases become more and more apparent. Um, so from our perspective, um, you know, I think that we've gotten the sweet spot of financial and strategic return right. But the thing that we're struggling with or that we have struggled with is the timing, right? Um, you know, how do you move faster to make decisions? Because you might have a great company that meets both of those perspectives, but the process that you put into place has to also meet the timing part. Because again, being too early could be a challenge and being too late could be a challenge. And with startups, especially, you might miss the train, um, you know, because you're trying to get things together and put together a great, um, you know, investment uh, committee pitch and, and all of the things that are required for, for traditional corporate decision making, and you might miss the opportunity. 
And then on the flip side, you know, you might not want to miss the startup. So you make a quick decision that doesn't necessarily meet a, a good um, uh, view on financial and strategic returns. So, you know, those are the two real biases that, that we try to address. And, you know, from a mistake standpoint, um, we haven't been extremely active. So we haven't made a huge number of critical errors. I mean, you know, in the investments we made so far, we haven't seen the outcome yet. Um, but I will say if, if we are to um, adjust or make a, you know, yeah, make a quick adjustment on where we are now, I think it's going to be around speed and timing. Um, because again, that's the other leg to the investor's dilemma. That, that, that was my next question. So I have a very strong bias that corporate VCs need to be able to react fast, both after investment, but also during investment. In June, we made an investment in a company from the first meeting with the meeting the CEO to the money transfer was 25 days. So I have a very strong bias, but I'm going to challenge myself and challenge you. Do you actually think that for corporate VCs, we need to move fast or actually because we bring so much more than just money, maybe timing is not that important? That is a great question. And I think that this goes back to kind of my banking background, right? I think that you can structure your way through some of the biases that you have, right? If you want to move very fast, then the structure of the ter- of the deal that you get into needs to meet that level of speed so that you don't get whipsawed, right? On the other hand, if you want to move slowly, then there's ways that you can insert yourself into the um, into the startup's capital structure without slowing the startup down. Right, so you can help them with a bridge note, or you can do warrants in between a round, or you can negotiate equity at a, at a future round based on the terms of the current um, commercial uh, structure. Right, so you can you can balance it out where you don't miss the deal. Right, that's that's a lot of what I've kind of helped design in Volvo Financial Services is how do you structure a transaction so that you don't get whipsawed, but you also don't have to move so fast that you that the corporate doesn't feel comfortable and you don't move so slowly that you miss the opportunity. There's a deal to be done for everyone, right? Uh, your background in deal making is really important here because I think a mistake I've seen is people think that if you've missed a round, you've missed the opportunity to get involved. And that's totally not true. If you can bring value, then you will be able to get a deal. So uh, maybe one question, maybe the audience would be as clueless as me. What does whipsaws mean? Oh, uh, whipsaw. Whipsaw means, um, so they say buy low, sell high. A whipsaw is when you bought high and you have to sell low. Oh, okay. It's like a, it's like a, you know, my hands moving crazy here, but it's like a curve, right? You're, you're at the wrong side of the curve at all times, right? You want to avoid that at all costs. (laughs) All right. So with that, I'm going to ask uh, Sean to send a second polling question. And then I move back to you, Jason, with, you have this experience of product creation from scratch and you've done it. And, and, and does that mean you could fall uh, into the danger of trying to be too active with the companies you invest. At the end of the day, you're an investor, you're there to support them. But if you see them doing something you believe is a mistake, it's very tempting to say, no, 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 you should do this and that. So I wonder if, if, if that's a danger you, you, 
aware of? Is that a bias that you need to be careful about? Or do you think it's an advantage? Yeah, I, I think it could be a, a, an advantage or a disadvantage, depending on how active you become. So, so one of the things that we structure into our deals is not a board seat, but a board observer seat, right? So we can't, we don't really impact the startup's uh, roadmap, um, but we do have a view on the startup's roadmap. So we tend to have an open door policy around things that are um, not affecting the product that we are developing directly, but we view the startup as our accelerant for the products that we develop in, inside of Volvo, right? So, so 100%, we have, you know, a lot of impact on the, com- on the, the products and the ventures that, that we see on our strategic roadmap and the, the startups that we work with insert themselves or have to be a part of that roadmap. So we influence that 100%. What we don't influence is the startup's um, additional roadmap outside of what they're doing for Volvo, right? Um, and, and we don't want to do that because, again, we are focusing on companies that are at their very early stages. So we want them to use their um, core competence and leverage it to grow, right? I mean, we have, we're, we're completely aligned there because we're equity holders, so you don't you don't want to have an active role on this on the startups product roadmap, but you want to influence the startups influence on your own product roadmap, right? That makes um, sense. And maybe I have a, a double click here. When you say we influence, do you mean the corporate VC VFS, or do you mean Volvo the business groups? Both, both, both. Okay. Because we work very closely together, right? Um, so again, part of our criteria is we won't invest if there is not an existing or highly potential commercial um, opportunity with the startup. And really what that means is our investment is tied one-to-one with the commercial relationship. So I- Condition for investment, you cannot invest without? Yeah, it's, it's not, a, it's not a, a, a stated condition, but it is a, um, an unstated con- condition. Well, I, I'm, I'm guessing you just stated it. <laughs> yes, well, yes, exactly. It's not a, it's not a condition that's in our, our investment charter, so to speak, right? Okay, but, so potentially you could make exceptions. We could make exceptions, but it would be a difficult exception to make. And some of this, Nicholas, is just because we're we're at our early stage of development as a CVC. In 10 years, I mean, we might make bets that are moonshots, right? Um, but right, for right now, we're really focused on driving an agenda over the next five to 10 years. And there's no reason for us to, get to, to go outside of that, that agenda. No, that makes sense. I want to talk about something which I was very impressed with, how you design your corporate VC, which is all about very, very good execution after investments. But in your presentation, you mentioned you're the big ID guy. And so tell me about how you balance this uh, personal tendency to be more on the big ID and how you make sure that the execution actually is going to be flawless or as close to flawless as possible. Yes, yes, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so I have a, a sincere belief and bias towards CVCs that are tied directly to it, tied directly to their corporations or their mothership's strategy and that strategy should have a 5 to 10 year outlook right if you're in the if you're in more of the transformation bucket then you need to look very far out 
And that's where the big idea um, um, uh, mentality comes from, is how do you envision the company in five to 10 years? And then how do you get there? So part of it is an internal strategic cell around you know, where, are, where do we view ourselves in, 10, in five to 10 years? And then that translates back into, okay, do we have the, the core competencies to get ourselves there? Or do we need help from some of the um, external partners that might be out there that have invested a lot of sweat equity in their view of the, of the future? So, so if I ask about the first company you invested in, yeah. I like to think about two ways when you make an investment. You look at everything that can go wrong, but you also look at how well it can do if everything goes right. So for your first investment in five years, if everything goes right, what do you think they will become? Oh, okay. So um, great question. So in five to 10 years, if everything goes right, and I'll start from the, from the Volvo side, okay? In five to 10 years, if everything goes right, um, Volvo, particularly Vo Volvo Financial Services, will have a fully connected insurance platform where all of our vehicles are attached and insured by us through our partner. That's who we. That's why we've invested in this company because they allow access to insurance carriers across the world, and Volvo Volvo is also across the world, right? So that's from a pure product um, product success standpoint, right? Um, you know, it, it has certain KPIs. I won't mention them on on the call here because some of them are, are private. Um, but suffice it to say, you know, we'd love to have all of our vehicles in the future be connected and insured by Volvo, okay? Very nice. So that, that's, that's the success for us. And then for the startup, because again, we have the other side, which is the equity, right? We wanna see them grow through all of the rounds of, um, of startup, uh, of the startup life cycle that you would expect, right? To an exit, <laughs> right? So then I think you, uh, you're giving me a very good transition to a question that was asked by these sessions. Okay. Uh, here, what you're saying is a huge strategic success and financial success. Yeah. And, and Lee is asking the question about the first question on the, on the poll, which is, uh, are you financial or strategic? Is it a trick question? And what he does not know is that before this uh, broadcast, we had a, a chat beforehand where both Jason and me, we don't like these questions because it anchors on the false choice. Are you either strategic or financial? And with Jason, we discussed that actually the way we need to look at it is you need to look at the overlap between financial and strategic. And this overlap is where you should invest. And from, from TDK's venture's point of view, I can say that we believe that if you do the overlap, you're more likely to invest in the companies that could be successful because financial returns mean also success, which means they are the companies that are likely to get the alpha customer pivot the first to get the better customers. So it's definitely a false choice that was in that question. And that's why we don't like these questions. Yes, yes, then, do you want to add on top of that? Yeah, I do. It's, it's, and, and you had the perfect answer. It, it is an overlap. Um, and it goes back to what we talked about earlier around the investor's dilemma, right? Um, yep. That choice between financial and strategic and the overlap, the overlap is your investment selection, right? You don't invest if there is no overlap. It can be on the, the, the that overlap has a lot of a, a wide spectrum in between it, but it has to overlap. 
So, you know, I can, I, I once tried to develop a, a model that could kind of um, quantify strategic versus financial fit. And what happened was every investment I put into it, the ones that were one or the other, they didn't meet our criteria. The ones that were between 40% and 60% met our criteria. So that just led me to believe that if there's no strategic fit, then I'm not going to invest. If there's no financial fit, then I'm not going to invest. So it has to be that overlap. And that, that can be assessed in a lot of different ways. You know, how do you, what questions do you ask? You know, um, um, uh, you know, how, how, how excited is the management team around the investment? Because without management buy-in, it doesn't, then there's no strategic fit, you know, all of those things. And that eliminates that part of your, your bias, right? Because you've, you've identified that it has to meet both. Then it just becomes a timing decision and the timing can be um, alleviated by the structure. Very good. I have, um, Another question, but I see Liz actually giving it. He says, totally correct. The magic of corporate investing is doing both. No such thing as a strategically relevant insolvent company. And, and Jason, if you remember when I introduced you uh, to Paul Holland a year ago, I think he has one very good say, which I really like, and it resonates with me. You don't want to invest in companies that you worry you will be ashamed of their logo in the future, (laughs) where, where you look at all the companies you invested in and then you're ashamed. And, and in a way, the fact that I have all my portfolio companies in the back uh, and this video will be published means that I have to be very confident that I'm proud of them and I will stay proud of them. Yes. Now, I'm hoping to be correct and not to be proven incorrect. Well, you've, made, you've made great choices so far. I mean, you're, you're one of the, um, the uh, more recent CVCs. I think we started around the same time and yep. you've been extremely active. So congratulations and, and you know, much continued success there. Thank you, Jason. And um, I'm moving on because it's not about me, it's about you. Uh, I have a uh, question uh, from Masatoshi. Uh, What is the alignment between Volvo Ventures and VFS Ventures, if any? Yes, um, we do have alignment in that we both um, are part of Volvo Group. Um, Volvo Volvo Venture Capital, Volvo Group Venture Capital, VGVC, sits at the group level. So as I mentioned before, um, we have um, uh, probably nine or 10 brands that Volvo Group owns. Each brand operates as its own separate entity, um, but we all report in to the group, okay? Um, Volvo Group Venture Capital tends to focus more on um, what I would call core vehicle technology. So they're, they're really focused on, you know, the things that will enhance the next generation of um, a commercial vehicle, right? So LIDAR, all of the things that would go into the vehicle itself, deep technology. Uh, what we're doing at Volvo Financial Services um, Innovation Ventures is more around fintech and service delivery, right? So again, insurance, um, payments, um, um, uh, uh, electromobility services, um, things that you sell to the customer um, after they purchase the vehicle. So that's kind of how we distinguish between the two. But we do work very closely together. Um, and, you know, they have um, a certain investment criteria and things that are much more moonshot focused, where ours is much more, you know, five to 10 year service delivery focused. So do you see um, 
a scenario in the future, maybe not right now, but in a few years, where you and Volvo Ventures would invest in the same startup? Um, I view it more as a, a feeder model where we can do that right now, right? We wouldn't do it at different, this is where the timing structure comes in, right? So what we're doing is much more um, R&D focused and future delivery focused. What they're doing, I think, is um, could be viewed as more growth focused, right? So either um, if we invest in a company and they get too big for their britches, then you know we would probably shift it to our Volvo uh, Ventures partners who have um, you know a more kind of traditional CVC fund. And if they see a company that's too early stage, they probably push it to us and um, allow us to put it through our acceleration platform. So we work we work pretty closely. Very, very powerful. Do you? Do you make that that Volvo family uh, value to the entrepreneurs you meet? Do you explain that as a value you can bring? We do. Um, and, you know, Volvo is a huge company, right? We are a global platform. So when a, when a small startup, um, I, like to, I like to say that, you know, we allow startups to test their product at OEM scale, right? Because what's great about Volvo Group is that whoever we work with, small partners, large partners, we automatically put them into a global environment because that's just how we operate. So we might run a pilot in you know, the US, but it has tremendous implications upfront for other markets out in the world, right? Um, so with that, yes, we, we absolutely interact um, and we allow the startups to have you know, carte blanche with the entire organization. So, um, but, we, but we try to guide them through because again, we could represent their biggest customer very quickly. Right, but we don't want to do that. We want to make sure that the cust that the, the the startup has you know customer diversity. Right, so very nice. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask five hundred startups. I know we've been very harsh to them about the first polling questions, but uh, we can send the third and final polling question now. Um, Jason, a lot of our job is to actually position our corporate VC well to the entrepreneurs, so they can really understand the value we bring, what we're interested in. Uh, and everything that we will be helping them along the way. Yes. I'm going to test you, and I didn't uh, prepare you for that question, so I hope it's not too tough. Okay. But, and, and we ask that many times for our founders. Can you give me your 30-second pitch for VFS? For VFS or for VFS Innovation Ventures? Sorry, VFS Innovation Ventures. <laughs> and 30-second pitch to entrepreneurs. Yes, yes. Um, so 30 second pitch. Um, VFS Innovation Ventures is um, the best way for startups to gain access to Volvo Group and to, to test their product um, in a commercial vehicle, in the commercial vehicle space. Um, we provide capital. We provide um, advice, and uh, we also provide, as I, as I mentioned before, scale that a startup probably wouldn't have um, without us. Um, we're in a, a great position because we operate in an OEM space, and we're an oligopoly, so there's only you know, three to five players, and after that, it falls off pretty quickly. So for a startup to get access to one of us 
it means a huge amount or it's a, it's a huge win for them from a not only a value perspective or valuation perspective but also from a um a product development um perspective um I'm impressed this is a what I like is that you start about the value and the benefits you bring to the entrepreneur. This is actually, I'm very impressed because <laughs> I, I totally did not prepare you for the question and, and it's really a good way of starting and explaining the value. Yeah. And, and you're right that actually it was not obvious to me that there are very few companies that can actually be in that space, That's helping right. them and, and to bring them scale and a, and a place where they can grow. This is a huge deal. So I think yeah. you're, you did well. I would there's, give there's very few companies. There's very few companies, and and TDK is one of them as well, right? Sony, I can think of, right? Um, GE. There's very few companies in the world that truly have global scale, meaning they operate in over you know twenty to thirty countries. I mean, we're in a hundred countries, right? So, you know, and OEMs are 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 really are the only companies that are in every single country which is why i chose this sector right to kind of build an, that integrated network um it's very very nice so part of the audience is already already doing corporate venturing but probably some of the audience are thinking about starting yeah. can you give one or two advice to uh jason miles who is about to start and what would you tell this uh founders of CVC uh, to be careful about or to really think very carefully about? Yeah, I mean, again, it, it comes back to biases, right? So selection is your first major hurdle. If you're not a part of corporate VC um, right now, but you might be in a, a, an industry that you really like, then that's then you've, you've made your first major selection. Um, you know, it's important that you have a view on the industry that you're seeking to um, to fund. Um, and, you know, without that, it makes it very difficult for you to understand the timing side of the equation, right? So um, select your industry first, um, make sure that you're really um, excited about it because these are five to 10 year investments. So for you to see the fruits of your labor, it's gonna take a while. Um, so that would be the first one. Um, you know, for me, I selected fintech and transportation because I saw that interaction as something that was going to really take place over the next five to 10 years. Um, the second thing I would say um, would be, um, you know, train yourself if you don't, if you haven't gotten it from, a, from your, your, um, your company or your educational background. Train yourself really on the basics of investments and finance and, you know, just business in general, because working with startups requires that you bring that whole tool set um, to bear. Um, you know, I find myself speaking to startups about marketing, management, you know, finance, capital raising, strategy, everything, right? And you have to, as an investor, be... Um, they say you have to be, uh, you know, a, a mile wide, a, a mile deep, and an inch wide. As an investor, you have to be like half a mile wide and half a mile deep. So you have to pretty much be able to talk about everything. Um, so, Jason, I think this is a nice plug for 500 startups with a VC unlock program. Do you want to share for two minutes what you learned, what you liked, and how it helped you to do well afterwards? Yeah, yeah. Actually, the VC Unlock program, it's a good plug. That's, it, it's, it's one of the best courses that I've taken that has been purely focused on venture capital. Um, you know, 
again, for me, I had a, you know, a finance undergrad, I have a finance MBA and, um, you know, the, and I've, I've, I've operated within VC in and around it, but the VC Unlock program really brought everything together in a very short um, time frame and gave some great frameworks um, to use, um, which were very practical. And I think that's the part that you can't really learn. You have, someone has to give it to you or you have to, um, you know, be in a VC. <laughs> so it, it, it really was an unlocking of all of the value of, of kind of the VC market. So I liked it a lot. And you forgot that we got a lot of good friendship from it. Of course, of course, of course. That's where you and I met, Nicholas, right? So, yeah, it was great. It was great. It was great. And uh, we met again in Brazil, a dozen of us. And uh, we met with VCs in Brazil and we learned even more. Um, no, it's, 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 uh, it's a good plug for 500 startups because, indeed, there is a lot of things that we don't know. Yes. And what will... Um, what I think is very important to say is that corporate VCs have had a bad rep in the past. Yeah. And if you make mistakes, you're not going to have a second chance. And so starting right and starting with the right mindset, and that's why I like your 30-second pitch, because you start straight to the benefit for the entrepreneurs. And, and all of this really needs to be built into the execution as, as well. But it's what you don't know is a mistake that, that actually is going to be the problem. Right. So on that topic, you haven't really said a mistake you made. You wish you didn't. <laughs> um, so we're, we're very early. So it's you know. It's <laughs> I know. I know. But <laughs> if there's something that you feel you could have made a mistake, but because of the network, VC unlock, and maybe other people that have uh, given you advice, you realize would have been a mistake and 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 was good to avoid. Yeah, I, I think here's one that um, I think we've successfully avoided, but it's been difficult to avoid. Uh, I'll say it that way because we haven't made the mistake, but we're always in danger of making the mistake, okay? And it comes back to your biases, right? You Once you have a, a great thesis and a great selection criteria, you have to be very strong and disciplined about not veering from your criteria. If you've, de if you've developed your thesis correctly, then you shouldn't have to veer away from it. When you start veering too far away from it, that's when you introduce additional um, factors that you might not have known, um, known of before, right? So for example, um, one of my major, major, major hurdles um, for making an investment in a startup is because I'm a strategic partner and I'm a CVC is do they have a financial partner at the table that has nothing but financial um, motivation, right? So do they have a traditional VC on their board or in their cap table? Or do they have a, an angel that has a banking background? Someone with pure financial motives makes the VC, makes the startup much more disciplined about the decisions that they make. And that's one thing that an area where you could potentially as a CVC say, well, you know, they don't have any financial investors, but they do meet our financial and strategic fit. So we should just make the investment. But by doing that, you introduce additional biases that you might not otherwise see because they don't have the financial discipline you know, of having just a cutthroat, quote unquote, um, financial guy at the table. So 
that's where I can see the bias creeping creeping in. And I myself have, have had to fight that not only with, with myself, but also with my colleagues about, well, this is a great company. They do everything right. They might be a good partner for us. And I have to say, yes, but they don't have a financial investor. I think and, you're making a very good point because we, I've seen the spectrum of CEOs who only want to do financial VCs and they don't want to do CVCs anymore or not, uh, all the way to the one that only wants to do CVCs. Uh, and I'm very worried about the one that only wants to do CVC. Yes, yes. And, and, yes. and I think you're right. You need uh, someone who is looking at it from a financial point of view and, and, and who does that as a job. So I think a good mix means for me a CEO that's very mature, very smart, yeah. because he's looking at it from I need the financial VCs, but I also want the value of the corporate VCs. That's right. Uh, Jason, if you can talk a little bit about these biases and and what do you think is a key message you want the audience to live with? Uh, because I think everything we do is about decision-making and investment and so on. Uh, but is there a message on bias that you really want people to leave this uh, uh, webinar today and, and think about, really, really deeply think about? Yeah, I, I do. And um, that's a great segue. And again, thank you all for, for having me here. This has been really, really um, enjoyable. Um, you know, the three biases that I really think about uh, pretty often, and I think every investor should think about, uh, we've talked a lot about investment selection. Um, you know, you have to choose right. And that comes from some, making a great thesis up front um, and um, having your criteria um, very clearly defined. Um, the second bias is around FOMO or fear of missing out. And that's, that, that has to do with kind of the timing, right? Um, the third bias, which is kind of the, has been the elephant in the room, just in terms of our industry, whether it's corporate, corporate VC, or general venture capital is diversity, right? And, um, you know, I tie that back to the first two in a number of ways. Um, so from an investor standpoint, um, you know, I think we're starting to realize that um, innovation is what I like to call locally owned, but globally executed. Um, you know, it can come from just about anywhere, right? Um, and we live in a much more connected world. And because of that, um, you know, where, where in the past folks think of, thought of um, investment, especially early stage investment from a risk mitigation standpoint, now I think people are starting to think about it from a, um, a return perspective, right? Um, and, you know, diversity of thought, diversity of culture, diversity of gender and um, culture and, and, um, and ethnicity, um, beyond just the, you know, the moral and the social benefits, um, I think bring benefits and in investment return, right? Um, you know, taking risk in terms of the thoughts that are around the table and the people that are around the table, I think really enhance the ability of a CVC or a VC to make great investments. Um, yeah. You know, and it really allows you to look at the idea and not at the messenger or the message and not the messenger, right? Um, and that message may come in a variety of formats depending on what part of the world you're in and, and what, what area you're focusing on. So, you know, when I think of the investor's dilemma and the biases, it spans the entire uh, spectrum from the investments you make, the types of folks that you back, 
um, and the ideas that you have. So, you know, that will be my key takeaway is, you know, think holistically around everything that you do because you never know when the, the next piece of information is going to come in. It, it's great, Jason. And, and I think I will stop here because I want to finish with something so meaningful. And uh, thank you, Jason. It was really great to have you today. And uh, you were in a very good sharing mode. And, and, and I think it's going to be useful for so many people who are thinking about going into corporate venturing or getting started already. So thank you, Jason. It was really good. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Global Venturing Review was produced by In-Ear Production. You can find out more by going to inearproduction.com.